I talked to Mother Earth. What does that mean? I decided to ask her if she could make a scenario in which our podcast was even spookier than it usually is. I see. You stole my thing. I was going to say it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> Listeners, I've got a big L on my forehead. You were doing I love you for a hot second there. No, I was not. You I mean, had, I do love you, you. You had your finger up like that. But you're also a loser. She said, you know what I can do? Give you a nice thunderstorm for your podcast. So enjoy it. Our voices, which is, you know, an excellent sound to listen to already, plus thunderstorms in but the background. But then you took her gift and said, it's gross outside, just before we got... Because I went into a puddle. Alex, I like thunderstorms, but the, like, roof right outside our front door just drips really strongly, and it makes puddles, and also drips really big drops on my head, and I don't like that, and I get stuck fumbling with a keel half the time. And then I get wet and sad, and usually it's at night, and I get wet and sad and cold and dark. You get dark? I feel dark inside. Yeah. But that is my long way of saying it's thundering. So that's what you're hearing. Maybe. Who knows if you can hear it or not? Yeah, we'll see. Maybe you'll be like, you promised me thunderstorms, and it won't sound like it. Let's get a... uh... A sheet of aluminum and just wobble it around. Yeah. So I don't really have a lead-in. I don't have any hot takes. In the beginning right here. So you're just going to start your story? No. I just I was going to start with uh, something I just saw just before we started recording. Okay, I was going to say, like, I wasn't done just, like, shooting the breeze, but okay. You that, haven't even opened your beer. No, I have not yet. That um, This is a Wall Street Journal article. Okay. That... President Trump wants to buy Greenland from Denmark. For what purpose? Having Greenland. For what purpose? Having Greenland. So, like, the 51st state? Yeah, I mean, look at it. Do you don't want that as a state? I don't think... What? It's not... It's not... I don't think it's up for grabs, is it? No, because they're a territory of Denmark. So... Don't know how that's supposed to work, but Trump wants it. Uh-huh. I wish I had, like, a fun factoid for you, but I don't. Greenland is the ice one. Mm. Do I have anything interesting that I saw in the news? I don't read the news. Does that make me a bad person? Yeah, we haven't been caught up on John Oliver. That's the most you watch. I watched news. one episode of John Oliver. And we got, like, two that we can watch. I don't remember what they're on. One's mm-hmm. about prison labor or something. See, I'd rather get caught up on MasterChef. There's no way these people don't hear this. Shit's a roaring out there. We got a flash flood warning. Mm-hmm. It's got to be heard on the mic. Um. Yeah, I don't have any like news things or interesting things that I learned in the week, but we have another race. You guys think we run too much, maybe. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. We have a race on Saturday, a 5K obstacle course again. Mm-hmm. Because they're the best. This one has, like, cargo nets and stuff. We get a medal for this one. Well, according to last year's pictures. Yes. Um, free wine tastings, which that's gluten-free 
at our last obstacle race, I had to ask for a cider and they like cracked open a can and I was like, <sighs> well, this winery makes their own cider. So right. Winery slash brewery slash coffee roastery. <laughs> My dad calls it the, uh, what does he call it? Disneyland for, of breweries. Which I don't know why he's referencing Disneyland and not Disney World. I don't think he's ever been to Disneyland. Is it the California one? Yeah. Was well, that the first one? Yeah. So. Well, one of them's better than the other one. Sorry. How would you know? Because it's bigger. Bigger is better. You haven't been to the California one? No, but it's bigger, and bigger is better. You're going to say, like, Disneyland Paris is worse than... Bigger is better. ...Disney World? Haven't you seen Wally? Yeah, the egg all, all got fat. Bigger is better. And all basically died. Haven't you seen Cloudy with a Chance Ball? A chance of Meatballs. Haven't you seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Yeah, they all basically died. Bigger is better. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've never been to Disneyland. It could be better. I don't know. Although... Probably less humid. Didn't they just get rid of Tower of Terror over there? Yeah. And replace it with, like, Star Wars or something? Stupid. Guardians. Whatever. Stupid. You can't get rid of Tower of Terror. I mean, you can, and they did. I went on that. I thought I was going to be scared, and it wasn't scary. People hype that thing up so much. Also, it has almost negative 0%. Excuse me? It has absolutely nothing to do with Twilight Zone. Oh, you just said it has almost negative 0%. Yeah, it has, it has worse. It has less to do with Twilight Zone than a negative percentage does. It's like negative infinity to do with Twilight Zone. Wow. That was really something. It's like I, Haunted Mansion and no Twilight Zone that I know ever deals with ghosts. Haunted Mansion is not Tower of Terror. Isn't it also spooky? No. What? Tower of Terror? Tower of Terror is like you go up, you see the clocks, you drop, you see stuff, you drop. Haunted Mansion is a separate ride. Aren't there ghosts? No. Haunted Mansion is the one where you like go around a track mm -hmm. and you look into that mirror and a ghost is sitting on your shoulder, mm -hmm. which is a totally separate ride than Tower of Terror where you go up, you see like the doo-doo-doo-doo and, and clocks and, and then you drop. Mm -hmm. I think you're combining them in your mind. Maybe. Because the clocks are definitely Twilight Zone. Okay. Oh, I haven't been there in eight years. Didn't we just go? No, you tried to go without me. Oh, I went with just Sarah. On my birthday. Oh my God, it was not on your birthday. Almost was. Oh my God. Okay, fine. Anyway, it does have to do with Twilight Zone. And Haunted Mansion is separate. I actually kind of like the Haunted Mansion movie with Eddie Murphy. Don't at me, bro. It's entertaining. It's probably gets really bad ratings. Yeah, probably, probably, but it's entertaining. And you know, holy moly, it's picked up out there. Beyond uh, Eddie Murphy, I could not tell you any of the actors or actresses. Somebody with curly hair that looks like Helena Bonham Carter, but it's not. Is the woman in the globe? I'm talking about, like the the family. I yeah, I have no idea. I think there's a girl who's in like. Um, Disney Channel movies is in it, maybe. I don't know. I haven't seen it in forever. 
every time I, like, wanted to watch it, people were like, that's a bad movie. And I'd be like, yeah, it's such a bad movie. I don't know why I wanted to watch it. But, like, I just think it's fun. I liked the fact that there was a love story and that the girl hung herself. And, you know. You love the girl hanging themselves. It was dark and I liked it. Awkward, yeah. Um, with that. With hanging. Let's ma- move into our... That's our seg you. Mm-hmm. Um, into your story. Yeah, you'll have to tell me at the end of this what you, what you think of it. It's not strictly along the veins that we would usually okay. do, but... If it's like somebody goes missing... That's fine. Okay, well, we'll find out. Is it that? We'll find out. Okay, your little smug face suggests that it's a missing case. I already did a missing person. Did you? Yeah. And they were never found? Mm-hmm. Oh, Maura, never mind. Murray. New Hampshire. Right. Uh, Westfield, New Jersey. Nothing? All right. New Jersey, yeah. 1905, uh, one J. Herbert Pearsall, um, owner of this plot of land and he decides he's like i don't want to live outside anymore i want to build a house on this land and so he does he just lived on the plot of land prior yeah. to that he just like lived out on the grass i'm just sh- shooting out my ass Ugh. um so this uh jay herbert built this house and he lives on the land for what is that eight years um about and then in 1913 Florence and her husband, William the Machine H. Davies. <laughs> it's not actually his nickname. It's just... Oh. Yeah. Because her name is Florence. Oh. Mm. I didn't get it. I was like, wow. What is he the machine? Got it. Yeah. Florence and her husband, William H. Davies, buy the house from Herbert for the sum of $1 in May of 1913. Okay. We can't even get rent for less than 1200 mm-hmm. And they bought a plot of land for a dollar a plot of land with a house on it for a dollar yep what is the dollar store up to these days that it doesn't sell houses shame i don't know for shame uh 1932 william davies serves as the mayor of westfield for a single term just a fun fact right in the depression september of 1932 the house is struck by lightning and partially damaged what are the odds we were struck by lightning Happens in Sweet Home Alabama in the second ending. The second ending. That DVD comes with multiple endings, so you can end Sweet Home Alabama however you darn well please. It's like Paranormal Activity. Does that come with multiple endings? All of them ended with me laughing. It's like four endings. That's stupid. Okay. Do any of them end with a, a succubus or an incubus? Um, no. I think the main one is that the wife gets possessed and goes missing spoiler for a movie that's like 10 years old at this point it's got to be older than that uh so davies is mayor for a single term and then following his term as mayor he spends his time working at various other jobs including director of a few banks some fun facts that was a fun fact yeah um july 16th 1947 william and his wife sent sell their the house to their son ernest for two dollars and their daughter-in-law francis for a dollar my dad's middle name is ernest and my name is francis and my middle name is ernest no it's not 
Um, this doesn't last long, however. Um, as Wait, for how much? A dollar. Oh, my God. What a deal. Um, Ernest and Francis moved to Florida, and they sold the house to the Bird family um, for a dollar. Why does everyone keep moving? Hmm. Is this ghosty? Are you supernatural tailsing it right mm-hmm. now? Are you playing tricks on all of us? It's playing tricks through the heart. Uh, what da ba What da ba da ba? Nineteen fifty-three. Um, Seth bakes. What does he bake? Yeah, exactly. And his <laughs> wife Floy buy the know. home from the Bird family for a dollar. <sighs> Two years later, the house is sold again to. Larry and Mary Schaefer. No. For a dollar? For a dollar. <sighs> wow. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1990, the house is sold to the Woods family. No. I didn't see a price. Okay. So Not a dollar. We can just assume it's a dollar, though. But in 1990? 1955, it was sold for a dollar. Nothing in 1990 is dollar except, I don't know. Arizona iced tea. Oh, that's 99 cents. Isn't that a quote from Mac- Macklemore? Shit, it was 99 cents? Yeah. Shit? I don't know. Damn. That's uneven glass. Too many cables. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now old. So now the woods are owning this house and still in Westfield, New Jersey. Fun fact, another city didn't come in and take over the lands. I mean, it's a decent enough town name. Um, it's about 45 minutes from New York City. It's mostly made up of families. There's not a lot of, like, single people homes in that area um it's the type of place where you knew your neighbors um it was recently ranked as the 99th richest city in the u.s and the 18th richest in new jersey okay that's that means we're in the top 100 yeah wait but that means that like only 70 city wait no that's not how that works yeah 99th city richest city in the country Uh uh-huh and there are 17 cities higher than it in New Jersey. That means 17 out of the 99 richest are in New Jersey. Yeah. 18 out of the 99 richest are in New Jersey. Yeah. I wonder if the richest cities are conglomerated in like parts of the U.S. It's got to be, right? Around like Manhattan. New England, Northeast area, West Coast, South. There's no... Uh... There's no like Nebraska is the richest. Yeah. Shout out to Nebraska. We love you. Haven't been, but I will. Um, basically, it's the type of place you'd want to live. Is it? Do you want to say I'm from New Jersey? Yeah, we, it's 45 minutes here in New York City. I don't want to be 45 minutes from New York City. If you, you What if you want to go see like uh, the Bodies exhibit or <sighs> Hamilton? Too soon. Didn't you hear about when I tried to see the Bodies exhibit? Mm-hmm. And the lights were out, mm-hmm. so yep. they didn't let anybody out. I saw it, so. Well, cool. So on June 2nd, 2014, Derek Broadus and his wife Maria and their kids, um, ages 5, 8, and 10, move into the house after purchasing it for $1.3 million. That's not a dollar. It's got a one in the number, though. So the Math checks out. It's about 1.3 million times. Wow. You're smart. Uh, the house now located at 657 Boulevard. I don't know how that works. <laughs> what? I don't know if it's road or if it's just, I think it, there has to be another word after there. There's got to be like 657. Boulevard Boulevard. Something Boulevard. It's just 657 Boulevard. No. Okay. 
They don't want you to know. Um, it was a highly competitive location. Houses in that area were among the most desired in the city. And like, if you made it to the boulevard, as people called it, you made it. Boulevard, boulevard. Yep. Boulevard broke dreams. They we're could, about to find out. That could be what Billy Joe was singing about. Um, Derek's wife, Maria, was raised um, in the town surroundings of Westfield. So she knew the area pretty well while Derek was from Maine. And he worked in New York City as an insurance company, at an insurance company, as an insurance company, um, where he was a senior vice president at the company. Stuff, some fun facts. I like your definition of fun facts. Yep. Having just purchased the house, Derek was at the house uh, just repainting some rooms a couple days after the sale was finalized. Oh my God, please tell me someone's living in the walls. We'll get there. <laughs> um so after some light painting it's about uh 10 o'clock at night he's like yeah i haven't checked the mail today let's go let's go look at the mailbox found a couple bills and a letter addressed to the new owners um in big chunky letters is this the watcher yeah it's the watcher wait when did you bring this up just this past weekend oh my gosh okay continue so i'm gonna read the as much as i could find of the letters um I could, I tried as hard as I could. I could not find a whole transcript of the letters. Mm -hmm. So the first letter read as follows. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I've been in, put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. No. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Mm. I have see the I I see you have already flooded 657 with contractors so you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I, I think there are three that I have counted. Did you feel? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your Old house too small for the growing family, or was it agreed to bring your children to me? Once I know their names, I will call to them. Um, who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one of them. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out many, look out at uh, the many windows in 657 Boulevard, at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one of them. Welcome. My friends, welcome. Let the party begin. Signed, The Watcher. Um, at some point in this letter, he mentions that he had asked the Woods to bring new blood into the family. And he's like, it looks like the previous owners listened to me and brought new blood. Oof, oof. That makes me feel so nauseous. Um, so the outside was addressed in like chunky handwriting, but the actual letter itself was typed out. So there was like not an easy way to identify. And like, maybe he doesn't have any education. It was around, uh, 10 o'clock at night, as I mentioned, when Derek got this letter. So he called the police. Um, they came over and looked at the letter and, and asked. Like, We've heard about this before. No, they just asked Derek if he had any known enemies. And he's like, I don't think so. So the other tenants just didn't mention it? They did not mention anything. Uh, 
So Derek obviously went home to his other house, like the house they were moving out of to move into this new house um, where his wife and kids were, um, where Derek and Maria wrote an email to the previous owners, John and Andrea Woods, to ask if they ever were contacted by the Watcher. As I mentioned elsewhere in the letter, it said he had asked the Woods to bring young blood, and it looks mm-hmm. like they have listened. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly thereafter, since it was probably like midnight when he wrote the letter, Andrew responded the next morning saying they had received a letter, but aside from it being an odd thing to get, they just threw it out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that same morning, Maria and the Woods went to the police station, who advised the Broadduses to not tell anyone about the letters, as all of their neighbors were now suspects. Yeah. Um, in the following weeks, things were pretty tense, to say the least. Derek started canceling work trips. Maria was very protective of her kids when they went over to the new house. They would, she would like yell their names out when they wandered a little too far out of sight. Um. While showing a house to, while showing their new house to a couple in the neighborhood, the couple said it would be nice to have some new blood in the neighborhood, <gasps> which is like a weird thing to say. Ew! Don't say that. What? And then obviously it's like, are you them? Um, two weeks past the first letter, Maria was checking on some paint samples at the new house when she noticed another letter addressing the family as Mister and Missus Braddis. Um, it was possible that the watcher had overheard. Like the contractors of them are like addressing the families, and he's just like mis- oh, misheard it. Yeah. Um, What's their actual last name? Broadus. Oh. Yeah. So he used missing an O. Yeah. Um, so now we got the second letter. Ugh. Oh boy, is it a doozy. Oh, no, 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 no. Now I just mean from the point of I have to read all of this, and it's, it's just a big chunk of okay. my notes. Okay, okay. The workers have been very busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. No. Um, also, in this letter, as it goes on, he addresses the kids by their nickname and birth order. Uh-uh. No, wait, no, babe, no. I am pleased to know the name. Uh, pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought to me. <laughs> you certainly say their names often. Um, this letter also asked about one of the kids who was painting on an easel at the time or had in the past. And the watcher asked, is she the artist in the family? Oh, God. Um, it continues, 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the, in the basement or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my god. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has all the bedrooms facing the, to the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It'll help me to know who, who is in which bedroom. I can then plan better. Um, Babe. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher. I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family uh, turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what you brought you... the. Sorry. 
Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard and has now brought you to me. Happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. You're freaking me out. That's like full-on stalker. Mm-hmm. This isn't like... That's not just like... That's not just like someone sending a crank mail. They like know the kids. scary movie. They know the kids. They know their names. They know their birth order. They well, know it didn't that... help that Maria was like yelling yeah, at their names. Yeah, but still, that means that they're within earshot. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's not like, ha, 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 657, I am watching. You know, it's like... Here's concrete evidence. Have you found what's in the walls yet? Oh. You will. Have they, did they jackhammer the walls? No. Why not? Ugh. If there is something in the walls, do you really want to know? Yes, the police do. What was that? Um, remember that movie, We're Still Here? Wasn't that house like filled with dead bodies? What? The one where like, um, there's ghosts, and then when you die, then you're with the ghost. Yeah, there's like a burn victim ghost there. I thought, or Is that ma- what it's called? Yeah, we're still here or something. Also, kind of related, unrelated. I don't remember that movie, but I remember that movie. And like you know the very mean? end, like there's always like a whole bloodbath It's scene. like someone dies, and then they're like, oh, shoot, there are all these ghosts just walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that movie called? The Connecticut something. There's like the, the box cover is the thing coming out of that kid's mouth. The Haunting of Connecticut Hill or something like that. Yeah, and there's like a box of eyelids in the walls. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what does that have to do with anything? In the walls. Oh, okay. Uh, obviously, the kids stopped coming around the house and doubts begin began to arise of whether or not they would actually move in to the house at any point. Like, was the neighborhood, the illustrious neighborhood, worth all of this no. effort and turmoil they're going through no 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 even though they bought it for 1.3 million no no don't move in um another couple weeks later another letter comes and this one's a little much shorter as far as i can tell um it just where have you gone to 657 boulevard is missing you yep i can't i don't have anything to say um, I'm really perturbed by this. <laughs> this isn't real. Like it's it's real, but it's not real. You know what I mean? It's not like someone just like had a girlfriend and killed them, mm-hmm. or had a boyfriend and killed them. Like this is just this is like the bridge between paranormal and reality, where it's like a ghost person is doing this, like and what's in the walls, but it's real. Mm-hmm. Oof. More, uh, some now suspicions and fun facts. He um, was a banker? He was a banker long ago. Well, I mean, you used that as a fun fact, so. Um, <laughs> there was some thought or suspicions that the watcher was possibly a disgruntled bidder on the house. Like, he just didn't bid high enough and got bought out. So, he is like, I'm going to screw with these people so I can get a better deal on the house. Um, but the Woods had multiple offers above their asking price. Um, one family backed out after a medical emergency or medical thing happening and another one backed out after they got another house. Mm -hmm. So that probably wasn't what it was. 
the first letter was postmarked June 4th, which is a couple, a couple days before the sale was finalized or public. Before the brat Broditz moved I, in? Yeah. So they would have bought it, and somehow that watcher may have known, but I think hmm. before like the first sale or the sold sign went up on the lawn or whatever. Weird. Um, Maybe. What if, okay, I don't know how this works, and we're getting into supernatural sales, but can a, and you don't know either, but let's say there are spirits, right? Could a spirit manipulate a physical item? Yeah, the notebook. What? Isn't that how that works? He's in the past, and she's in the future or something, or she's in the past, and he's in the future, and they get- The notebook? Yeah, isn't that how that goes? They, like, died together. No, what am I thinking of then? They get like letters. Like the time traveler's wife or something. They get maybe? letters in the mailbox. I don't know. The notebook is like he forgets because she forgets because she has dementia and he's in love with her. And then she remembers and they die together remembering. Sure. Anyways, could something that's not human write these letters? Like a daemon. Right. But like. They knew before it was published that that family bought that house. And if you were a supernatural entity tied to this house and you knew that was what happened because they had the conversation within the house or whatever, is it possible to manipulate physical paper and envelopes and whatever? Or another avenue, if you were such a malevolent spirit, could you... But possess someone oh, to write the letter. Isn't that what automatic writing is? You get possessed and then you like yeah, automatic yeah, yeah. drawing. Right. So could it be that it's not a human? It could be, I suppose. Well, but like how else would a person know necessarily? Mm-hmm. You Or like these conversations or like what's in the walls, you know, like if it's a spirit of the house. Like, we've been watching this house for hundreds of years. What family would stay within that? I mean, it's possible, but, like, I don't know. Just throwing it out there. In the letter where the watcher mentioned that one of the kids was painting on an easel, uh, Derek showed the police that area where that easel was set up, and the only way you could see it is if you were either in, like, behind the house in the backyard area or in one of the houses next door to be able to see in or in the house as a demon this is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i'm convinced uh following that lead the house next door was home to the langfords uh which um, a couple of people that lived there was peggy who was 90 years old and then she had a couple of her her adult kids that were all in their 60s (laughs) that sounds like a rip-roaring time oh yeah um, one of their son, one of her sons, was a little bit odder than the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some suspicion there. The family had been there since the '60s, roughly the time that the watcher said his father was watching the house. And then Richard Langford, the father, died 12 years earlier. Um, so 2002, he the, the father died, and then the watcher claims to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. That maybe lines up. Okay. So when this son, um, his name is Michael, was brought in to the police, he said he knew nothing about the letters, and police were pretty confident at the time that, like, bringing him in, nothing else would happen. Here's the deal. I'm no Dr. Spencer Reed, but 
You would know about those letters even if you didn't write them or live there. Your neighbor would walk over and be like, I got this letter, you know? Mm-hmm. He knew about it. Now I think it's him. I don't know. Like I said, no Dr. Reed. Um, but short of an admission, there was not a whole lot the police could do. There was no real crime that's happened. Um, stalking. But you can't prove that. Stalking. You can't prove one person is stalking you. you yeah. Um. Derek, obviously frustrated the police were not able to do anything. He set up cameras and spent nights, nights, some article said, just crouched in the dark waiting for something to happen. Yikes. Um, he, the family hired a couple of PIs who staked out neighbors and ran background checks on them. They didn't find anything. They involved two former FBI agents. One of them was the inspiration for Clarice Starling from the Sounds of the Lambs. Um, as they were both on the board of high school, are both on a high school board of trustees together. Hmm. This is a weird small world, I guess. Yeah. The second FBI agent involved noted some indicators in that letter that would have led him to believe it was an older writer. They didn't use a lot of profanity um, based on like, if you were really as angry as these letters would suggest, you'd probably be like, you get out of my fucking house or whatever. Yeah. Or we're, yeah. Um, there was also a little bit, something odd. The first letter was addressed, uh, Tuesday, June 4th, despite June 4th being a Wednesday. Hmm. And. Damons uh, are stupid. Otherwise, the writer was kind of like all over the place. There Maybe were a lot I of. shouldn't insult them. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also say, based on the way that writing was, the person that was writing these letters probably read a lot. Huh. They just had a good understanding of language. Uh-huh. Um, so under police advisal, the Broadduses sent a letter to the Langfords saying they had a plan to tear down the house, thinking like, if it's them, we'll yeah. get a letter. Yeah. Nothing happened. Huh. Um, and the couple started having like strange dreams. Um, <sighs> Supernatural. Maria said there was a dream where there was a man with a pitchfork going after her kids, but she couldn't get there in time. And then Derek, I don't remember what his, I didn't write it down. It was something somewhat benign. But it was just like they were having like weird reoccurring dreams. One of the house painters voiced concerns when one day when he was painting the house, he noticed that one of the neighbors had set up a set of lawn chairs very close to the Broadus's property line. And instead of the lawn chairs being directed at that, at that neighbor's house, they were directed at the Broadus's house. Maybe they were sexy lawn uh, painters, sexy painters. Maybe. Um, did they wear overalls with anything underneath them or were they just overalls? I don't know. I did, like, I did not see hanging down a, a picture of bit. this house painter. Could have been. Could have been. Um, There's a porn for that. Rule 34. Huh? It's an internet thing. If it exists, there's porn of it. Okay. As of 2014, the um, investigation was not going anywhere. There's no evidence. Police can't do anything without any hard, hard evidence aside from they have the letters, but DNA testing and fingerprinting and all that stuff really was not turning up any leads there. Is the family still there? They go there sporadically to collect bills. and They don't live there. No. They're not selling it, though. No, they have not so, so, yet sold it. It's a money pit. Yeah, more or less at this point. Um, but another letter arrived. 
657 Boulevard is turning on me. It's coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it's my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I'll be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring me the young blood and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back, yet the young let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. Now that sounds like a mentally ill person. It's, the writer's all over the place. Jesus Christ, what is it? Um, so you asked if they were at the house. They were staying at Maria's parents' house during this whole thing. So they would go and collect bills and they would see sometimes there was a letter and they would go from there. Um, six months after the first letter arrived, the Broadduses put it back up on the market. No one wanted it. Um, and then, no, not really, because rumors started to fly in this small town of like, they say it's one thing, but it could also be this other thing. They decided to, Broadduses take, decided to take legal action against the Woods for not disclosing their letter. As far as I've seen, nothing has really come of that because they got the letter. They were aware of it. They didn't mention it. It was kind of like a murder happening in that house. You have to disclose it. Within a certain amount of yeah. time. Um, in 2017, the house was rented out to a family. Um, they were hoping to attract interest with potential buyers. But if they saw someone was living in it, it was just, wasn't just a fa- uh, vacant house. Um, the family that moved in got a clause in their lease that allowed them to break the uh, lease if they got another letter. And in February 2017, they did. Huh. Um, this letter came, um, it was dated the day that the Broadduses gave depositions against the Woods. Um, violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is. Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of your so-called neighbors who, uh, who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe... You do know, and you're, they are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by as the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. Further along um, in this letter, he mentions possible retaliation. Um, it goes, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones suddenly die, planes and cars and bicycles crash, bones break. Um, recently, the house sold for less than 400000 um, than their original asking price. And there have been talks to make this whole thing into a movie. There was um, Blumhouse, Dimension, New Line, Universal, mm. all had... Well, just demolish it, how about, what about stakes that? Stakes in the movie, but <laughs> Netflix ultimately won the rights to the movie. No way. So that's coming out at some point. Oh. Um, but nowadays, Westfield residents just think of The Watcher in the same vein as the Chupacabra. That's flippin' insane so it's not a murder it's not an abduction or a disappearance but i'm 
beyond myself. You just shook me to my core. I'm flabbergasted. <sighs> That's so creepy. Oh my God, it could be so many different avenues. Like there's so many different possibilities for that. And and at different points, I was so sure. And then you said something else and I was like, oh, okay, well, it's this. And then I would be like, okay, well, it's this. Normal guy. Now it's a demon. Now this per normal person is mentally unstable. I like how you said he all the time, though. Yeah, I just assign a gender to it, I guess. I mean, that's it's fine. And also, we're acting on the assumption that it was probably that guy, Michael. Yeah. But. I don't think demon could be ruled out, though. No. But it would just be weird that none of the other homeowners, aside from the woods, got letters. Well, are most of them dead, though? Yeah, but I think there was one, I think it was the family that owned it in the 50s might have still been alive at the time. But I am appalled. That is terrifying. It's like just tormenting. Wow. So now we'll, we just have to wait and see because this it sold semi recently. I think earlier this year. So you find out if the new owners get letters. Wow. How do we move on from that? You should have gone second. My story is cottage cheese compared to that. That's not how the order works. I know it, but mine's just so benign and bland. Which is what cottage cheese is. I just created that <laughs> saying, but I think it works. You know what order that does work, though? What? When you order from wink.com. Wink.com? You mean the the service that gives you wine that is catered to your desires and needs? Yeah, those orders work all the time. It's so they come true. right to your door. Personalized wine that you choose based on a flavor profile that you create online when you create your account, and it works 100% of the time. Even if you don't like personality quizzes, you can go and hand select bottles based on reading in the descriptions of each type of wine and put those into your box. You don't have to take the profile quiz, although if you want to taste wines that they think you will like, you can. Every bottle of Wink that you put into your box and that is shipped to your door will be something that you enjoy, whether it's just on a casual afternoon, whether it's with dinner, with friends, whatever. Wink has some of the greatest wines that I have ever tried. Right now, I am actually drinking a bottle of wine that I got in my Wink purchase. A whole bottle. <laughs> No, although after that story, I think I might. I'm drinking the Independent, which is a 2018 Pinot Gris and Pinot Blanc mixture. It's a nice, refreshing white wine on a summer night like this. It's delicious. It goes well in my class, my cat class. They have amazing wines of all varietals, and it gets shipped right to your door. So if you go on to trywink.com and use our code SADTALES, you're able to get $22 off your first box of four bottles of wine and complimentary shipping. So go to trywink.com slash sadtales to try out our promo code and get some new selections of wine to show off to your friends. 
and you will be sipping amazing beverages in no time. That's trywink.com slash sadtales for $22 off your first four bottles of wine and complimentary shipping. And with that... My turn to open the computer. Oh, I can't move past that. Because I remember when I was telling the story, I was doing a bad job of it, obviously, this weekend. Yeah, you did. TBH, it was not as big of a deal as what you just made it be. Yeah, because your um, sister's husband was like, it seems like a fine thing. My the, brother-in-law. Yeah, the uh, the watcher guy seems like he's very like invested neighbor. <laughs> yeah, it was not as creepy. It's got to be a pretty well-known case. You want to know another really well-known case? This is like major. Amityville Horror. No. No. This is a high-profile stakes case. This Vampires. is like This is like when you're in GTA and you get to play in that fancy white room with all the high-profile stakes tables. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. So I've been playing Ro- a lot of Blackjack in Alex's GTA game. Sorry, not sorry. It's Casino Royale. Alex lost like $7,000 on GTA, and I gained $50. Welcome to GTA. Where the, I gained 50 whole dollars. The money is made up, and the points don't matter. I gained $50. I'd be happy with $50. Um, Ira Einhorn. I I. I I is the name of a monkey in Monkey Ball. Bork. Have you ever played Monkey Ball? Once. Twice. <gasps> oh, well, I own it. So if you ever want to play it, we could play. Anyway. Ira Einhorn, born May 15th, 1940, to a middle-class Jewish family. They were a pretty run-of-the-mill family, nothing really special. Um, But by the time he was in his 20s, he was a far-left-wing radical. Well, I guess the word radical insinuates that he's far. Um, I don't know which dog that is. Lola? Lily? Shh. Do you want me to ask you, what are you drinking? I'm so sorry. Mm, An IPA with lime and lactose and salt and other things. Sounds good. Bye. Greenport Arbor Brewing. In collaboration with Banded. Hmm. Long Island. Anyway, good to know. I like the label. Looks tasty. Wish I could taste it. Not as limey. More like it's New England, but I don't get a lot of lime. Got it. Regardless. So he was active in left-wing politics, um, especially ecological warfare and anti-war groups. Yeah, I was going to ask what left-wing radicals are. Well, this was during the time of the Vietnam War. It was all like environmental. Well, so he was a lot of environmental warfare, like peace on earth. Blowing up oil pipelines. Right. Which just makes everything worse. Right. So left-wing radicals kind of... uh, not a great thing at the time, but this was like the height of all those anti-war protests. Black Panthers? No, Vietnam War. Black what? Panthers is not Vietnam War. Were they far left? Black Panthers were about like black rights. Yeah, but they were on the left then. Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess in that they were, I don't think it was a left or a right. I think it was like black people matter. This is the Vietnam War. This is about fighting in Vietnam or not. Mm-hmm. Not Black Panthers. Um, he grew up and spent most of his time in Philadelphia, and he was 
called by a lot of people Philadelphia's head hippie. The PHH. The West, West Philadelphia. Born and raised. Um, he was a large man with an unkempt beard, and he rarely washed or bathed to keep up his head hippie mantra persona thing. Did he have dreads? No. Um, but at the same time, and this is why he was so successful as like an anti-war, like radical, he was really skilled at rhetoric and talking and getting people to listen to him. Uh, He had a large network of people that respected him and thought that his ideas were, you know, almost gospel. And he started to get a lot of well-known individuals to be on his side and his cause. He called himself the uh, Prince of Flower Power. And the guru of peace and love. And he claimed he had thousands of lovers. Mm-hmm. Just another normal day, you know? You know what that probably means? Brag about it. He hasn't. Yeah, he's got a micro penis. <laughs> Some people start a date with, I have a micro penis. It's a good indicator. No. It is. If your date laughs, then she's like not like stuck up and is like. No, I'd be like, hey, what? And what does that mean? You don't know. Anyway, he also claims to be the creator of Earth Day in 1970. Claims to. He was. that was Al Gore. Okay. What? He was a key speaker at the first Earth Day, but a lot of the people that kind of put together Earth Day in 1970, the very first one, said that he didn't have as much to do with it as he said he did. So because he was a key speaker, there's. It's possible that he was like a creator, but. Nobody agree. Not everyone agrees, so it's up for debate. Some people called him the unicorn because apparently Einhorn means unicorn in German. Ein. Is that one? Yeah, Ein's by dry. Oh, so one horn. Oui. Unicorn. Cool. Did you say we? <laughs> That's French, buddy. I'm multicultural. <laughs> You're like my dad when he tries to speak English, Spanish, and French all at once. Um, he studied at the University of Pennsylvania, and while he was there, he was friends with Jack Kerouac. That author guy. And Allen Ginsberg. Those are like the beat guys, mm-hmm. which I don't really know much about that. It's, Beatnik? Yeah, I don't know. He also spent some time with Peter Gabriel, the, Isaac Asimov. He's a science fiction, yeah. He's a science fiction writer. And Yuri Geller. That one I don't know. Yeah. So Russia. he was like bumping shoulders with the big wigs. I mean, I don't know if they were all big at that time, but they became big. Peter Gabriel is like in my top five favorite male artists of all time. Claude Schammer? Oh No, all of it. Hans Zimmer, Peter Gabriel. Hans Zimmer is like above all. Anyway, I can't digress into Hans Zimmer. I'll get too far into it. I'm so sad that we missed the Hans Zimmer international tour when it came to the U.S. And now it's not going to happen for another few years. And I'm really upset about it. (sighs) Anyways, we could have seen him conduct. Anyway, um, he hung out with the yippie crowd. Have you ever heard that term? Youth International Party. 
They call themselves yippies. They smoke pot, took LSD, did LSD, took LSD. I don't know. And they were a big group at that time when it was peace and love and all that. At the same time, though, he had kind of another side. He worked in corporate settings a lot of the time because he was really good at predicting trends. And he needed to make that money. Yeah. He predicted a lot of things related to computer science, quantum physics, and something called new age management. So he would go to a company and he'd be like, let me give you what you need to invest in. You should hire women. You should hire Bill Gates. I don't know. Things like that. He also sold blue pit prints of the future, he called them, to Fortune 500 CEOs. I don't know if any of this stuff is legitimate. No. Let me specify. This is true. Whatever he was selling them, I don't know if that was You're going to find any pictures of blueprints of the future? <laughs> it's a picture of a DeLorean. Um, after he, like, went into UPenn and all this, he started. He got into a relationship with a woman named Holly Maddox, who was described as beautiful and delicate, a former cheerleader. Uh, she was originally from Texas, but moved to Pennsylvania to study at Bryn Mawr, she started to focus her energy not on her studies so much, but on the women's liberation movement and breathe nipple. Yeah, and that's when she became drawn to Ira because he was really politically active and was a big wig. I just had that musk, the, like no bathing musk. Mm -hmm. Yuck, gross. He smells like left wing politics. Oh my god. <laughs> Left-wing politics gave my panties in a bunch. Left-wing politics and unkempt bush. <laughs> His beard? No. <laughs> that's not what you call bush. I know, but that's what I said was unkempt earlier. Um, the 70s were a big time for that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Ira always spoke about being peaceful and nonviolent, but he often treated Holly poorly as he had done with other girlfriends in the past. In fact, in one previous relationship, he smashed a soda bottle, glass, because it's the 1960s, on top of his girlfriend's head. So he is not known to be kind of a garbage boyfriend. So in 1977, Holly broke up with Ira and moved to New York City, where she started a relationship with a man named Saul Lapidus. Um... Ira heard about this new relationship and called her, I guess on a landline. <laughs> Operator, give me. New York City Saul Lapidus. Uh, so he called her and said, you need to come back to Philadelphia or I'm going to get rid of everything you left here. I'm going to throw it out and you don't get any of your belongings back. So on September 9th, your B-Day, mm -hmm. hashtag send Alex birthday love in less than a month. Um, she comes back to Philadelphia to collect all of her belongings. Once she got to Philadelphia, disappeared. She was never seen again. Brotherly love, right? Yeah. Sadly, nobody except her family really noticed that she was missing or. Not even Saul Lapidus? Yeah, I guess not. Um, so they started to get nervous about her not communicating with them. In particular, her birthday had come and gone and. They tried to reach her, and nobody heard from her. And she was a daughter that was known for communicating with her parents on a regular basis. So See, if I ever go missing, my parents are going to be like, this is normal. 
they're gonna be like he's probably in the jungle somewhere like picking up lizards i haven't heard from him in like two months yeah maybe next month we'll hear from him yeah but if i didn't talk about you or bring you around that's when they would know so um ba 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 so Holly's parents called the police to report her missing, and the first person they go to talk to? Saul Lapidus. No. Ira. <laughs> he said he had no idea where she was, and that he hadn't seen her, so the, bl- the police were like, okay, peace and love. Peace and love. I don't think the police enjoyed hippies. Peace and love. That's all I'm thinking of, baby. Peace and love. They're all giraffe dodgers. Huh? They're all draft dodgers. I'm singing Fountains of Wayne. One hit wonder. <laughs> no. Um, they gave up on that lead, but Holly's parents were not convinced that that was the case. They thought that he w- could still be implicated in the situation, so they hired a P.I. Jessica Jones. You want her? Don't piss her off. Pay her in Evan Evan Williams or Turkey Hill. Oh, pay her in Evan Williams. Turkey Hill? I thought you said pay her and Evan Williams. Or that the ice cream? Turkey Hill's the ice cream. Yeah. Turkey. Wild turkey. Wild turkey. Turkey. Pay her in Evan Williams and Turkey Hill. Call it a... Oh, an ice cream float. Whiskey float. <gasps> that could be good. Um. So they hired a private detective. Meanwhile, back in PEA, Ira started to tour around... And give talks about peace and love or whatever the heck he talks about. He also started a fellowship at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. By 1979, the PIs had enough evidence to give the police a reason to search his apartment. And the evidence included... He's got marijuana. No. The evidence included this. One, he helped his friends to... He asked his friends to help him dispose of a trunk that had secret documents in it. So he said. Two... He was not fully in compliance with the police when they came the first time. And he's got marijuana. Three, a putrid and rancid brown liquid was leaking through his floorboards into the neighbor's kitchen below. That's just his urine, man. <laughs> he's really dehydrated. So, a detective goes to Ira's apartment on March 28, 1979, which was 20 months after she had gone missing. And in his bedroom, in his wardrobe, the detective, Mike Chitwood... Found Holly's suitcase, purse, driver's license, and social security card. Then, because it's a wardrobe, he opens the second side, finds a trunk with Holly's body stuffed in it. I thought you said he has to get rid of it. Yeah, well, nobody helped him. They're like, secret documents, man. Keep on, keep a hold of those. You might read them later with your grandkids. And they were like... What are you, Jerry Garcia? (laughs) I don't know. Also, did this PI go to like his friends and be like, he ever asked you to do anything weird? Yeah. When you're a PI, you just do whatever you want. That's what my... I just feel like the hippies have a very combative relationship with the police. Okay, but nobody helped him to dispose of the trunk. So they clearly don't care about Ira that much. Um, so Holly's body was stuffed in the trunk. It was packed in styrofoam with air fresheners and newspapers. And by the time they found it, it weighed 37 pounds gross her post-mortem examination showed that she had suffered trauma to her skull 
and it was smashed in multiple pieces. However, they discovered that she was still alive when she was put into the trunk. She was semi-conscious and had died trying to claw her way out. That's freaking heavy. Jesus Christ. Uh, so the police come and they find all this and they arrest him and he says, I am with me. You found what you found. He was charged with murder. Just murder. Since at the time, Pennsylvania did not have degrees of murder charges, so he was just charged with murder. And when he was due to go to court, he was being represented by a famous defense attorney, Arian Spector. Arian? Probably not Arian. Probably not. Yeah, maybe not. (laughs) The Arian Spector. It's Hitler's ghost. (laughs) Ooh. But Hitler's not even the Arian race, so I don't really get it. Anyway, that's a whole tangent. Also the Jewish grandmother. Yeah, I don't really know. Okay, anyway. Um... Ari Inspector was the lead of the, quote, single assassin slash crazy bullet theory for JFK's assassination. Apparently, it's a it's a well-known theory. Single assassin slash crazy bullet. Just He's just saying that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only person. Yeah. Single assassin, crazy bullet. That's the theory title. Anyway. Yes and no. So, he's a bigwig. We. Th- We'll get. We'll talk about it later. Yes and no. Um, so he's a well-known guy, and he's amazing. He argues for a bail set at forty thousand dollars, which is low for a murder charge. Period, and only ten percent of it needs to be paid in cash. The rest could be like credit cards or whatever the heck. So of course it gets out. It gets paid. A woman named Barbara Bronfman. A Montreal socialite pays his bill, bail because she believes in all of his causes. And when he gets released, he claims over and over to the press and the media that he's innocent and that it was a conspiracy from the CIA or FBI because they wanted him to stop his political activism. On January 21st, 1981, Ira disappears the day before his pretrial hearing, and nobody knows where he goes. They figure he probably goes to Europe. And because of this, and the high-profile aspect of the case, since he's one of the most well-known political activists in the country, there's an international manhunt to find him. Interpol. Isn't that just Europe? Yeah, but... Well, it's yeah everywhere. Mostly Interpol, but yeah. The person in charge of this manhunt was ADA Richard... Benedetto, who had read all of his journals. Oh, the name's so familiar. Yeah, you know what? I had a meeting today, and the person's last name was Benedetto. Did you just pause? No, it's still going. Oh. I want to say Gacy. Richard D. Benedetto? I'm like finding Benedetto in all of my days. Maybe with the last name? D.I. Benedetto. <laughs> I don't know. 
It's possible that it was just Benedetto and whatever you're thinking of. Possibly. Because that's a common last name, too. Or maybe it wasn't Richard. Maybe it was something D. Benedetto. D. Benedetto is in some way associated with John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Nailed it. High five. Killing it. Softly. Like Gacy. Um, So Richard was in charge of the manhunt. He had read all 60 of Iris journals and basically knew everything about him. So he was like, I will lead this. Um, Obviously not everything, so you didn't find him immediately. Well, okay. We also don't have, like, a flourishing internet at this point. And? Life is hard to find people. Do research on your own. You can call the operator and find <laughs> a woman in a city of, like, three million. Yeah, cool. Um, in 1985, Iros traced to Dublin... Erland, and was living under a new name, Ben Moore. When they found out that he was there, they didn't have extradition papers set up, but he was alerted to the fact that they were on to him, and he fled from Dublin. Dope. It's speculated that from Dublin, he traveled around the UK and then went to the continent, went to continental Europe. And without knowing where Ira was, the decision was made to have the trial without him present. Which I didn't know this was a thing. Trial in absentia? Absentia? Just fuck absentia. it. We're going to run the trial. We find you. You get whatever it is. Right. That's exactly what it is. So they have this trial. He's not there. He can't defend himself. But they have this trial anyway. And through Is the- his defense lawyer still there? I think so. But or is that's it, it. Is it just prosecution? Be like... No, right, nothing I, for no, the no, defense. No, no. Defense is still there, but he's not there. Um, and through the trial, he's convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. In 1995, ADA Di Benedetto learns that Barbara Bronfman had been paying the woman who bailed him out had been paying for all of his flights all around Europe for him to avoid being caught by any authorities. But she has a change of heart and decides that she isn't sure that he's innocent. So she tells the ADA that his address in Stockholm, Sweden, where he's been living. When they go to this address, they find a woman named Annika Floden. And she said she knew a man named Ben Moore, but did not where no, no, did not know where, but did not know where he was at that moment. Um... So they say, okay, and they leave. But right after they go and interview her, she goes missing. And the authorities become skeptical that she has no idea what's going on. So they run her name through Interpol, and she hasn't been using monikers. So they find her, and she's moved to France and married Ira, a.k.a. Ben Moore, a.k.a. Eugene Mallon at this point. On June 13, 1997, Di Benedetto and other authorities arrest Ira in a mill house in a French village outside of Cognac. And Ira decides to hire Ted Simon, a man who is an expert in international law, to fight his extradition back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets kind of complicated. Um, so France, where he's living, and I don't know... He's a smart man. He probably chose this on purpose, but France has tons of laws in place 
to protect people from like being extradited or charges against them and etc etc basically it's like it's not fair for other laws to impact how you are here in France so Ted Simon goes to work 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 you know um and he says okay you can't extradite him to the U.S. You had a trial in absentia, and that's not fair. There's no legitimacy there. He wasn't there to defend himself. You can't just, like, bring him out of France and put him into the U.S. where he's already been tried and found guilty of murder and has been put into jail for life. Is that French law or is that American law? It's French. So? But he's in France. And you have to get approval to extradite him. But also he's not... A French national. No, but they needed approval from France to extradite him to the U.S. for charges. Um, because, and, and so French law was like, that's not fair. Pennsylvania's law said once he comes back, he doesn't get another trial. You don't get tried twice. That's, that's a thing. So he wouldn't get a new trial. He's already been decided to be guilty. What does American law say, though? But that he's being extradited to Pennsylvania. Yeah, I know, but like... Law by law is a state thing. That's what I mean, like, if Cognac's laws were different... France. Yeah. Cognac's a city. Yeah, that's what I mean. Pennsylvania is a state. But he would be extradited from the country of France, they don't have states, to the state of Pennsylvania where they say not a second trial. Um... Because of all the rules protecting people from extradition from France with, like, not going to a country where it's unjust and whatnot, the extradition application for Ira was not approved. And he was released. This is why I think he chose France. He's smart. Um, I assume Sweden was probably the same way. Yeah, I don't know. Probably. And Jane, I mean, everything lacks in Sweden. In January of 1998, Pennsylvania release, releases a new law that says a previously tried person could be granted another trial. And because of this, he was rearrested and awaited a new extradition hearing. Ted Simon, his defense, said that they created the, quote, Einhorn Law. He called it that. It's not actually called that. Um specifically to apply to IRA, and that wasn't fair because it didn't have a lot of application in Pennsylvania outside of IRA's case, and that they were targeting him as an individual, and that was unjust on its own. And he argued that a law should not retroactively apply to someone, nor should it target somebody. So everything that Pennsylvania was doing with this new law saying that somebody could have another case was completely out of line. Yeah, but on that standard i'm sure i can go back through the law books and find some law from 1850 that i could break but it's still somehow applicable applicable and he's like well but you're committing it now yeah and he's like a law that just create or that's like if you that's like if they're right now you um i I couldn't think if you if you jumped over a a line in the road and someone got really upset about it 
And then three years from now, they were like, oh, and now you can't jump over lines and then applied it to your case. It's not like that, but it's similar. You know what I mean? So that was, that was, I mean, I'm not saying whether or not it's right or wrong. Ted Simon, that was his big argument. In relation to Paul Simon? I don't think so. So another extradition hearing was held in France, and the French court said that they were not competent to make a decision about whether or not the laws that Pennsylvania created were right or wrong. So they decided to excuse themselves from the trial. And in that scenario, the decision of whether or not he gets extradited goes to the prime minister of France. So the prime minister, it's now all up to him. And he starts feeling a ton of pressure from the United States to release Ira and let him back into the U.S. Remember those times we helped you with two wars? <laughs> so on July 21st, 2000, France, a.k.a. the Prime Minister, decides to extradite him to the United States. He gets a lot of pr- criticism from France for succumbing to the United States pressure. He gets a lot of support from the United States for allowing them to come back to the U.S. And Bill Clinton, who was the president at the time, was very happy with his decision and was getting he was giving a lot of pressure to the prime minister. Early 2000, then. July 21st, 2000. Not, not November. No. Um, so either way he went, really, he would lose. So poor prime minister. So Ira's expedited... Expedited. Expedited expedition. <laughs> extradited or expedited. It was probably a pretty fast plane. Uh, he gets extradited to the United States and he tries to fight this. But, oh, sorry. So Ira is going to be extradited to the United States, but he tries to fight this by appealing to other groups, including the Conseil. Tat, the, the Council of the States, basically. I don't know. The Council of the State. The only thing, word I know that has d'etat at the end. D'etat. Conseil d'etat. Is coup d'etat. It's like the State Council. It's the highest French court. So he appeals to them, and this fails. Then he appeals to the Court of Human Rights, and this fails. So on July 21st, 2001, he slits his throat on national TV. Doesn't die. He didn't have much of an injury because he used a butter knife. Mm. (laughs) It was the... I don't know. The gesture of it. Yeah. The same day, he goes back to the U.S. on a flight to Philly and starts his trial. The trial was pretty straightforward. The prosecution had tons of evidence to use against him. They had a body. His diaries shows misogynistic character and violence. Um, And they had all these character witnesses that said he was no good. The defense tries to use the double trial, the new law, and basically just like, this isn't fair. As their defense, they didn't have anything really that was like, he didn't do it. Um... But they tried. They were like, oh, also he didn't do it. But they didn't have anything to support that. Um, now the prosecution has. He moved country a million times. four times. Yeah, right. After four weeks, on October 17, 2002, the jury found Ira guilty of Holly Maddox's murder. 
And just to, like, bring you back, she died in 1977. That's almost 30 years later. Murder in the first degree? Murder. <laughs> uh, the gentis... The gentis... The judge sentenced him to life without parole, and he is currently serving time in Hootsdale Prison in Pennsylvania. There's still some debate from different sides on whether or not he should have had the second trial or whether or not it was just because the first trial he was able to defend himself and was determined to be guilty, and so people already had this notion that he was guilty of the crime. Um, some people called it the mark of the totalitarian government that is the United States. If he was innocent, why did he try to kill himself? I don't know. I don't know. Why did run from the police like three times? Yeah, I don't know. But one of the pushes that they had for having the Kate of uh, the um the trial in absentia was that some of the character witnesses were actively dying aka fred and elizabeth maddox the parents were old and dying and they needed to like speak to the relationship and everything like that they couldn't just like wait around to see if he would show up the two parents actually died pretty quickly they died before he was even arraigned um so they needed to have the trial but in france he is viewed as a hero and a social rights activist and an eco-warrior and everything like that in the u.s he's really kind of a douchebag or whatever and his wife annika from stockholm still is unsure on her stance of whether or not he committed the murder so still years and years and years later there's like drastic different sides of whether or not people think he deserves this but, like, dude, the girl's leaking in your closet. Like, ugh. Gross. No. Title of the episode. Girls leaking in your closet. I mean, maybe. Yeah. And that's the very high-profile case of... Ira the Unicorn. Ira the Unicorn douchebag. Golf claps. A golf clap is always appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here till we move out. Okay. Then I'll still be here, but elsewhere. Yeah. Um. Alex. Remember when we asked our listeners to write in strange things that nobody has? Mm-hmm. No, we have no lives. So we don't hear anything. Sorry, listeners. We don't have anything at this current Moment. episode twenty-four juncture. Jack Bauer, twenty-four. <sighs> um, but if you enjoyed those episodes, episodes, those stories. Oh my God! This was epic, epic. H dash P I C. You might consider following us on social. At Sad Tales Podcast or supporting us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Sad Tales Podcast or writing us Sad Tales Podcast at gmail.com if you want us to fill this void after the sadness with happy things. Please tell us weird things you've seen, heard, experienced, witnessed, heard from friends, heard from loved ones, whatever. 
We need those strange things. And then leave us a review on iTunes because we haven't said that in a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, please review us. And we'll be back with episode 25 in our quarter-life crisis. Tell a friend. Or foe. Or anyone you know.